Welcome to Talkin' SEC. Writer, photographer, and producer Philip Jordan discusses the latest news and breaks down the biggest games with the best analyst around. Now, from Southeast Alabama, a state that knows its sports, here is Philip Jordan. What's up, y'all? Welcome into Talking SEC. I am your host, Philip Jordan, from Last World College Football, 96.9 The Legend in Dothan, Alabama, where I'm the in-studio host and producer of Dothan Woods Football. Got a fun show planned for you guys today on this Wednesday, December 9th. Just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by Aaron Torres. You can listen to him over on Fox Sports Radio on the weekends. You can check out his podcast, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and you can check out all his work over at Kentucky Sports Radio. We are going to get into Heisman Trophy Talk, Alabama, Florida, and uh, Texas A&M is going to be talked about in our conversation as well and how that relates to the Michigan-Ohio State game being canceled for this weekend. So a lot of good stuff, a good 20-minute conversation coming your way in just a few moments with Aaron Torres. Before we do that, I'll let you guys know you can find me and the podcast. You can find me on social media at PJordanSEC. You can find the show on Twitter at TalkingSECPod. And, of course, the podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube and all your favorite podcast platforms as well. Also, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. Now, let's get into a conversation with Aaron Torres. Everybody joining me today on Talking SEC is Aaron Torres. You can check him out on the weekends over on Fox Sports Radio. You can hear his podcast, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Check out his work over at Kentucky Sports Radio. And Aaron, uh, I told you this off air, but I do appreciate you taking the time out and coming on the show today. Philip, uh, my absolute pleasure, man. Uh, happy to talk ball with you. And uh, it's crazy, you know, in, in one perspective that we are so close to the end of the season. Um, but it's also crazy how fast it went by, how much is changing by the moment. Uh, it's definitely been a season unlike any other, man. But obviously really happy to join you. Yeah, it is. This is, you know, Kareem if I'm wrong, we should be in a normal year. We'd be looking at the Heisman Trophy presentation this weekend uh instead we uh we've got two weeks left the games the conference championship games are next week so it is kind of crazy to think about this past week normally would have been a conference championship weekend we would have had army navy this saturday which we still do have that but uh the Heisman Trophy, yeah it's crazy and we are uh, for the listeners out there to know we are taping this on a t- on tuesday of course and not too long after uh before we hit the record but in the big announcement with a michigan Ohio state not playing and yes this is an sec centric podcast but i mean that, that's big news when it comes to the playoffs texas a&m of course they're not playing this saturday either their game at Ole miss got canceled just your overall thoughts on how that could impact uh, a whole lot of people well i mean the, it's the biggest story in college football right now because as we record here on tuesday um you know with this game not being played as we know it, and things are changing by the second, as we both said, Phil, um, you know, as we know it, Ohio State cannot qualify for the Big Ten championship game. And for people who do not know, um, you know, teams had to get in six regular season games. They have played five. Right now, they're not, they're not going to play on Saturday against Michigan, and there's no easy path to getting them a game against a different opponent that they haven't played yet uh, without kind of messing up everybody else's schedule. And so because of that, you know, to me, it just it, it's a precarious situation. One, it just really sucks for the players, man. You know, Michigan, like Jim Harbaugh has gotten criticized for a lot of stuff, and I think it's fair, but he was one of the guys that was really outspoken about wanting to play Michigan actually was one of the schools that did maybe the best job of keeping 
you know, the coronavirus and COVID-19 out of their facility. They basically had been there since Ju- July and had no major outbreaks. So for it to happen this late in the, the calendar year is just such a bummer. Um, I know we make fun of Jim Harbaugh and poke at him and all that stuff, but, like, I, I think he wanted to play. I know he wanted to play, and I know his kids wanted to play. So it's a bummer, but it brings up broader questions about, you know, is Ohio State going to qualify for the Big Ten championship game? Uh, my understanding is, you know, the Big Ten is going to meet and decide on that on Wednesday. Uh, just a hunch, but I, I'm guessing they'll let Ohio otherwise. Uh, but then, you know, there's obviously a little scuttlebutt on social media about getting uh, Texas A&M and Ohio State together this weekend. I think it'd be great for college football. I don't know that either school wants to do it. I don't know that either conference wants to do it. But I do think it'd be great. So it's a fascinating situation because Ohio State, uh, I still think you know, there's questions about not only them getting into the, the Big Ten championship game, but then how it would impact their playoff situation. And, of course, like you said, so much else going on across the country. So as we record, well, first of all, I'm just kind of rambling at this point, Philip. but you know, as we record here, it uh, doesn't look like Ohio State's going to be playing this weekend, and it's just going to lead to, again, the most fascinating dynamic in college football, which is how many games is too few before you say, man, we just can't put you in this playoff. Yeah, and you know, you look at that, and when you compare it to Texas A&M tied into the SEC, I mean, when you look at resumes, I mean, we hear that all the time in a normal year with the committee. I mean, I mean, put it what Ohio State's going to have with a few games if they do or do not even go to the Big Ten Championship game. I'm, I'm going to be intrigued as we get closer to the final, you know, selection when we get to the final rankings. If A&M does go through and, you know, only has the one loss and then you put them up against Ohio State, I think that's an intriguing development and intriguing decision for the, the committee as a whole. Well, it is, and it is, and you know, and this has been something you know. I frankly, on my podcast, I've been talking about this since since August, when it looked like, uh, or maybe maybe late August, early September, when the Big Ten officially came back. Is I don't know how you punish teams that have been on the field at practice doing this since July, when you know Ohio State through no fault of their own. Um, but you know, listen, they 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 you know Notre Dame, Texas, Notre Dame for sure. Uh, had a couple games under their belt before Ohio State ever took the field for practice, right? Um, you know, obviously, Texas A&M, Florida, whomever, all had multiple games before Ohio State ever kicked off their season. And so, to me, you know, it's kind of that old dynamic of you want to benefit, you want to give credit and a benefit of the doubt to the teams and the schools that have been doing this from the beginning, did it the right way, believed in the season. And I, and I do think that's going to be a factor for this playoff committee. And then I think the broader thing that I don't think enough people are talking about right now, Philip, is Ohio State is obviously a great team and obviously a great brand in college football. But you use the important word there, Philip, and that's resume. You look at that resume. I mean, I know Indiana's good, but, you know, Ohio State's going to be facing a, a decent nor- Northwestern team or a Wisconsin team next, next week that has two losses. And you start talking about their, their, the quality of their resume, it's just not there. And it's, again, partly through no fault of their own. It's not their fault that Penn State is having a historically bad season, that Nebraska can't figure it out. But it's going to be a really thin resume, especially when you compare it against the Texas A&M team that potentially would have a head-to-head win over we think what we think will be uh, no worse than a 9-2 and two Florida team that probably finishes somewhere in the top 10. So to me, I think that's the interesting dynamic in and of itself is everybody just wants to talk about the total games played. But I think you bring up a great point, Phil, about 
the idea of what the actual resume looks like. And let's be honest, Ohio State's resume just isn't all that impressive right now. Yeah, it's not. And then you talked, and you mentioned Florida, so that's going to lead you know, into the SEC. But, you know, overall, you know, this year with the Southeastern Conference, I mean, of course, Alabama's been their dominant self. I mean, I think I came into the season thinking they would win the conference, but I didn't think they would be this dominant in doing so. But for you, when you look at SEC as a whole this year thus far as we head into next week being an SEC championship game, what's, what's uh, really stood out to you with the conference this year? Oh, I mean, every, I mean, you could really make the argument just about everybody has an interesting storyline. I mean, one, to your point, Philip, you know, I I believe I put this out there a few weeks ago when, when Alabama was beating up somebody really bad. I think you can make the case that so far, this is the most dominant Alabama team of the Nick Saban era. And that sounds crazy. But when you add in the explosive offense with a suddenly improving defense, you know, this team, it's never been like this, right? Even when they were good offensively the last few years with Tua, they took a step back defensively. And obviously, years ago when they were great defensively, they didn't have an offense anything like this. So I think that's a fascinating story. I think A&M's emergence is a great story, especially because they had a bunch of opt-outs at the beginning of the season. And, you know, it seems like Jimbo Fisher really has turned a corner uh, Dan Mullen, I think what he's done in three years is being underappreciated. Um, where they just go into games and just just they just boat race everybody, you know. And then I think on the flip side, you know, Dan Mullen, Jimbo Fisher, both third-year head coaches, and I know Jeremy Pruitt inherited a much worse situation. But I mean, we're talking about a situation where if they can't play Vanderbilt, we're talking about a team that's probably going to finish this year with two wins in their first two weeks and not a single win after early October. And you know how this stuff works, Philip. Is, is, you, know, you, head up, you head into the offseason with a, a losing streak like that, and there's no way to kind of get public perception back on your side, right? I go on radio in Knoxville all the time, and we were talking about this a few weeks ago, is you know, if Jeremy Pruitt goes into the offseason on a seven- or eight-game losing streak, uh, assuming that Vanderbilt game doesn't get in, uh, there's no way to, to change the narrative until next September. And we all know, and it's unfortunate, but the toxic nature of media coverage and, and the fact that the players, like, they hear that stuff, you know? And so it that, to me, is fascinating in and of itself. Obviously, South Carolina with a new head coach as of about 24 hours before, or I guess 72 hours before you and I spoke here on Tuesday. Arkansas, what they've done under Sam Pittman is awesome. Lane Kiffin has been awesome. Eli Drinkowitz has been awesome at Mizzou. I just think you really go across this league, just about everybody has a really interesting storyline. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the storylines, too, I think is really cool. I mean, when you look at the Heisman race involved in the SEC, when you look at Mac Jones and Kyle Trash, you're looking at a Mac Jones who I believe was a three-star recruit that initially was going to Kentucky, then he decided to go to Alabama. You got a Kyle Trask who was a backup to the Eric King in high school. I mean, he went, what, five, six years without starting a game. You see what he's doing at Florida. I mean, yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, they're great, and they've earned that. They are five stars coming out. They were, you know, we expect them to be good. I think that's one of the cooler storylines when we look at the head of the Heisman races, those two quarterbacks and where they've come from to get to the point they are now. You know, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that context. You know, it is interesting just thinking about Mac Jones where, you know, was committed, as you said, to Kentucky. And what's interesting about that is, I mean, they just fired their offensive coordinator because they had maybe the least dynamic offense in the entire SEC this year. Um, And, you know, Mac Jones could have been the guy playing in that system and he goes to Alabama, and it's not only that he goes to Alabama, it's that 
he goes in the same recruiting class as Tua, and people say he's crazy, and people say, what are you doing? You're never going to play there, and he didn't play very much the last two years until Tua got hurt, but, you know, it, it's a story of perseverance, and then obviously Kyle Trask in and of himself uh, is an interesting story as well, and, and to kind of also piggyback off all that, um, what I would say is I don't have a Heisman vote, but I think you can argue the top three guys in this Heisman conversation are all from the SEC right now. With, with Justin Fields taking a step back, Zach Wilson at BYU taking a step back, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence playing well, but he missed over a month, which is kind of incredible to think about. Um, I think you have Mac Jones and Kyle Trask as a strong one, too. This Devontae Smith thing, I don't know where you stand on it, Philip, but I think it's starting to pick up steam of, at the very least, this guy should be a finalist, he should be in the conversation. Um, so I think it's just the Heisman race, as you said, we'd be getting an answer to that this weekend under normal circumstances, but just fascinating to me to see where we are, see the, the, the narratives that have come out of this, and I think also just in the Heisman conversation, it's interesting that it really does feel like there's starting to be some buzz about uh, Devontae Smith getting some love, too. Yeah, when you think about with him, he's kind of always been the forgotten man in a sense with Alabama receiving yep. corps because last year when you had all four of them there, you obviously had Ruggs and Judy there. I mean, Smith, you knew how good he was. He made big plays. He scored a lot of touchdowns last year, but he didn't get mentioned a lot. And then coming in this year, it was all about Jalen Waddle. And then I'll remember a lot of people, especially down here where I'm at in Alabama, they were talking about when Waddle went down, oh, no, what were we going to do? I mean, that's going to be a big blow. I'm like, I mean, you still got yep. Devontae Smith, one of the best receivers in the country. I feel like he's kind of he's kind of not been getting his respect up until this point. And I think finally on Saturday night against LSU, you know, in prime time on a big stage on CBS, he finally got that opportunity to show, hey, you know, I belong in this race. And you kind of got to wonder where Matt Jones is as a quarterback without him. And you know, let's just throw it out there too. You could probably make an argument for Najee Harris at the same time. I guess that just shows you how loaded this Alabama offense really is. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I've tweeted out a few times that if I had a Heisman vote, I'd give it to Mac Jones. I don't remember this guy. I literally, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, man. I don't remember him having a bad series all year long. Like, he's missed a throw or two, but not very many. Um, and I got a lot of response from Alabama fans saying he's not even the most worthy Heisman candidate on our roster. Some people pointing to Najee Harris, some people pointing to Devontae Smith, but uh, it is fascinating, and it, it really speaks to what Steve Sarkeesian's done with this offense and really taking what Lane Kiffin did and bringing it to the next level. And I just bring it up because, you know, to lose what they lost when you're talking about two first-rounders at wide receiver plus Tua, uh, and then to your point, uh, Jalen Waddell is, if you look at most mock drafts, the first wide receiver to potentially come off the board this spring you're talking about three guys that are going to be first-round NFL draft picks off last year's roster, maybe the most dynamic receiver in college football this year, or at least we thought he was until we saw what Devontae Smith is doing, man. So it speaks to, like I said, I, you know, it's crazy, Philip is, you know, I think on the national scale, I, I do think there is a little Alabama fatigue. People are tired of Alabama being the best team basically every single season, especially at the very least in the SEC. Um, and I think – if you're a fan of college football, and certainly if you're not a fan of Auburn, and I know you are, but you know anyone other than an Auburn fan or maybe an LSU or a Georgia fan, like it, if you pay attention, it is kind of incredible what this offense is doing where it's like video game numbers, and obviously anyone who's followed Nick Saban's career could have never imagined it. 
No, no. I mean, you would think you would not think it would keep going like this. That's what's amazing. And I guess, you know, I wanted to also ask you about, you know, looking to next week. I mean, it's confirmed. And I think we all expect Alabama to beat Arkansas and Florida to beat LSU this weekend. So it's kind of like we're just kind of counting down, looking forward to when Alabama and Florida do get on the field. And Florida's offense has been great this year, but they don't like to run the ball and they're not good at stopping the run either. Uh, for you, when you've seen Florida play this year, and of course we've talked about Alabama here, I mean, what what kind of route? How does Florida pull that upset off in a week and a half? You know, what I'll say in the broader picture is this: is you know, I got a buddy Ryan Fowler hosts a radio show down in Tuscaloosa, and you know, we've talked for months now. Is and we've really talked about it since the Georgia game. Is if you think you're going to beat Alabama twenty to seventeen, it's just not going to happen. And the teams that are going to potentially beat Alabama, like I'll, I'll give you a better example, is I said this on Ryan's show the other day. I think this is the best Notre Dame team that I've ever seen in my life. I'm 35 years old, so I don't remember the 88 National Championship team. But since I've started watching college football early to mid-90s, this is the best Notre Dame team I've seen. But I just don't think that they're dynamic and built in a way to beat Alabama, even though I think this is the best Notre Dame team that I've ever seen. Um, and so I bring it up because I just think the way to beat Alabama is you're going to have to outscore them. You're going to have to go score for score with them, which I, which isn't easy with the way their defense is playing, but you're going to have to go score for score with them because you're not holding this offense to 17 points. You're not holding them to 21 points. Maybe you can hold them to 27. Maybe you can hold them to 31, but you're not holding them to, like I said, 17 or 21 or 14 or 10 or 13 or whatever. And so when I look at Florida's path, I think that's the path you got to have the ball last, and you got to score last. I really think, especially with Florida, we know that they're probably not as dynamic defensively as, say, a Clemson would be, which I think Clemson's really the only team that has a realistic shot against Alabama. Even Ohio State, they got a great, they got great quarterback play, but they're terrible in defensive secondary. Um, so I, I'm bringing all this up just to say you just got to go score for score with them and hope you have the ball last and hope you, you have a chance to, to with two minutes left to, to go to the length of the field and win this win a game. That's the only way I see Florida beating them because, like you said, the defense will get there maybe under Dan Mullen, but it's not there yet. And I think it's just going to be you got to just score score more score as many points as you can and hope you have one more when the final whistle is blown. Like for, like for, for Florida, they're also going to need Alabama to kind of not play their A game that yeah. day, maybe make some mistakes, some some turnovers. Maybe you can get pressure on Mac Jones off a blitz or something, and he throws a, a timely interception or something like that. You're going to have to have some stuff uh, bounce your way, too, if you're going to beat them. I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair, and I don't know if Florida is the defense to make that happen. They, you know, they, they what they're doing is really impressive because they lost a lot of real, real dynamic players on the defensive side of the football off last year's team. So, yes, I, I would think that, frankly, I think anybody other than Clemson maybe, they're going to need Alabama to not play their best game. Now, maybe some of those teams would be the ones to create some of those problems, if you will. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty safe to say is as good as Florida is, as good as Ohio State or Notre Dame would be in the playoff, uh, as well as Arkansas has played this year. They're going to need some help, uh, all those teams, to keep things competitive. Uh, in Arkansas's case, just to keep things competitive. But for a Florida and Ohio State and Notre Dame to upset Alabama, that's what it would take for sure. Absolutely. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting this next you know week and a half leading up to that game and see what happens when Alabama Florida do play on the nineteenth and nineteenth in the air. And I just want to say I do appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Appreciate you taking the time out to come on the show. Uh, really 
great takes, great insight by you. And if the listeners want to follow you online, where can they find you and check out all the work you're doing? Yeah, man, best place to find me is at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Um, and that's the best place. All my podcasts, radio articles that I write are all there. And yeah, the Aaron Torres podcast, I do a lot of college football, a lot of college basketball. I've covered both for years. Uh, hopefully, you know, I said some interesting stuff there here today, but obviously if you enjoyed what I did today, obviously I talk a lot of the same stuff, the same conversations on my podcast, uh, you know, Wednesday's show, which obviously will run right around the same time this one does. We'll obviously be talking Michigan, Ohio State. I thought the Urban Meyer stuff earlier this week was interesting, where it really looks like he might never coach college football again. Uh, but, yeah, but yeah, fun show. Uh, f- you know, I think I'm a good follow, uh, but I appreciate you having me, Philip. Oh, yeah, always, always uh, glad to have you on, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime down the road. Anytime you need me, Philip, just holler. All right, thanks again, Aaron Torres, for coming on the podcast. That was a really, really fun conversation with Aaron. And uh, check out his podcast, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And I also listen to him on Fox Sports Radio on the weekends, on Saturday nights with Arnie Spanier on Fox Sports Radio. Of course, you can check out all his other work at Kentucky Sports Radio as well. Uh, now, college football playoff rankings, now, like, like I said in that interview and going into the interview, that that was done early on Tuesday. But Tuesday night, the college football rankings did come out. The top six stayed the same as it was last week. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Florida rounds out your top six. Alabama, okay, number one, they're dominating everybody. That's deserved, obviously. Notre Dame, Clemson, we'll figure that out next week on the 19th, which is big because if Clemson beats them, then you potentially or probably will see both Clemson and Notre Dame get to the playoff. You have Ohio State sitting there at four. The committee's keeping them there. They're 5-0, and oh, but they're not playing Michigan. If they don't play another game or if the Big Ten doesn't change the rules, they're not playing in the Big Ten championship game. Will that have an impact on the committee? And then comes a point, in my opinion, you just got to play a certain amount of games. This is not Ohio State's fault. This is the Big Ten's fault. The Big Ten failed their conference this year. They could have started playing earlier when the SEC, Big 12, ACC did. You could have put in a few off weeks where you could have made up some games, like the SEC has done. The Big 12 and ACC, all them conferences are going to miss some games, but they played enough games to have a proper resume. Ohio State, to me, just doesn't have that. You've got the Indiana win, but where else do you have you know stuff you can really brag about when you look at that schedule for Ohio State? Honestly, if it comes down to it, if A&M wins their remaining game against Tennessee, I mean, you got to look at resume. What's bigger? I mean, undefeated Ohio State would only go 6-0. and Couldn't even play in their Big Ten Championship game potentially because of the lack of games. Then you got A&M sitting there with one loss in the SEC, and they defeated Florida. Now, I will say this, and I said this with Coach Howell on Monday night, and I'll say it again here. I don't really want to see A&M there because they were dominated by Alabama before, and that's pretty much who you would match up with here. But resume versus resume, they equal. I mean, yeah, I would like to see Alabama play Ohio State or something like that, but y'all see us say, do you deserve to be there with what your schedule, your resume? What is more important? And that's going to be a big decision for the community going forward. Florida six, Florida fans, listen to this. You don't have to worry about anything. Just take care of business. If you win out, you win SC Championship game, you beat Alabama, you're going to the playoffs. So you do not have to worry about anything there. I was kind of surprised they dropped Cincinnati down to eight and put Iowa State at number seven. Iowa State did jump up two spots. Iowa State's going to the Big 12 Championship game. You'll be seeing them in Oklahoma playing each other once again. 
Would a West Virginia win, though? Was that really impressive enough to jump you up to the seventh spot and drop Cincinnati down? So that really tells me there. I was kind of curious going into this week what kind of scenario would have to take place for Cincinnati to get in right now. I don't think I don't think Cincinnati's got any shot. I don't think there's no way the committee's putting them in or any kind of group of five team. Georgia is at number nine, six and two. They dropped a spot. They were at eight last week. A lot of people still, I think, are very um, critical, especially people outside of the conference, of Georgia's place in these rankings. And I, I get it. Their two losses were to Alabama and Florida. They don't really have an impressive win on the books. Probably their most impressive win was against Auburn. Auburn's a five and four team. They're trying to get six and four this upcoming week. So we'll see how that goes for Auburn. But for Georgia-wise, you can say, yeah, on paper they look good. They've been playing better with JT Daniels, uh, without a doubt. That, that's for sure with them. But uh, you got to look at them and say, do they really belong in the top ten? That's one I think you is reasonable to be questionable on, on that one. All right, look, just looking further down at 13, Coastal Carolina went up five spots. Big win for Coastal Carolina. I was super impressed with them on Saturday against BYU. They physically dominated that game against BYU. And you looked at BYU and so said, you would think, okay, they must have better athletes than Coastal Carolina. I think a lot of people had that feeling that, hey, BYU will just show up and they're just a more physically daunting team. They'll win. Look, Zach Wilson didn't have a lot of time to throw. The defensive line of Coastal Carolina whipped the offensive line of BYU. There were several times where Wilson just didn't have time to throw the ball. And also at the same time, on the defensive side of the ball, BYU had issues stopping the Coastal Carolina run game. Coastal Carolina looked apart. They belong – honestly, I think they belong higher on this list. I would put them ahead of Indiana and Miami, maybe not Oklahoma. But I think Coastal belongs – deserves to be up uh, higher on this list. Uh, going down, BYU did drop to uh, number 18 here on the rankings, looking here on my paper. And then I guess, you know, round things off, too, with this. When you look at the SEC, Missouri comes in. They are in the rankings. Uh, good job for Missouri. Uh, I wonder I wonder Eli Drinkwitz is going to get SEC Coach of the Year. I know Lane Kiffin's another name for that. I think Sam Pittman and Arkansas probably fell out of that just for losing some games this year. And that, what a great game between Arkansas and Missouri this past Saturday was. And then Arkansas without Felipe Frank still making that a close game. Uh, so they uh, Arkansas played well there. The new coaches in the SEC did do really well this year. I mean – Outside of Mississippi State, Mississippi State's got more rebuilding process to get the right guys there for Mike Leach. Eli Drinkowitz has showed promise there at Missouri. They started 0-2 this year, but they have gone 5-1 since then. They've played really well. The one loss was to Florida. They do play Georgia this week, and I would expect Georgia to win that one. But I would say for Missouri, there's a chance for this team to be a 6-4 and four team here at the end this year. And Eli Drinkwitz has done a great job. Sam Pittman, obviously, yes, the last few weeks have not gone away. or last few games have gone away. Arkansas probably wanted to the way their season was going at one point this year. But they've shown signs that program's got energy and momentum. So if you're an Arkansas fan, you should really be positive going forward with your program. Ole Miss, see what Lane Kiffin does, is doing there. Excuse me. Get some defensive players in there, get his kind of guys in there that Lane Kiffin wants. That old Miss team is going to be tough to deal with. And, and once again, Motley, he's got to get his guys in there, the right guys that he wants in, the, in into that program. And I think Mississippi State will be fine too. Uh, one more piece of uh, news or information. Didn't really get to talk about this on Monday's show when I had Coach Max Howell on. 
But Eddie Grant, offense coordinator at Kentucky, fired. Kentucky is kind of behind the times in the SEC now. They're really the only team out there that's like a run focus, you know, old school kind of team. They're a really good defensive team. They're third in the SEC when it comes to rushing yards per game. But off, offensively with the passing game, they're just not there. Total offense yards per game, they're last in the SEC this year, averaging 311.8 yards per game total. Last in passing, 124.4. That's just not going to do it. You know, last year was anomaly what they were ever do with Lynn Bowden and what they were ever do in past years, just running the ball. The league has changed. We've seen that this year. You have got to be able to throw the ball down the field. Kentucky just does not have that. Terry Wilson was a really good quarterback for them. Uh, I think Kentucky fans will always look at him with a, with a positive attitude. But Kentucky's got to push the ball down the field. they got to bring in some playmakers at wide receiver. Offensive line is really good this year. They may have had one of the better offensive lines out there in college football, particularly in the SEC. But Kentucky does need to improve with the passing game, and that's who they need to bring in. I'm not going to sit here and say who I think they should go get, who's this guy, who's that guy. You know, I'm not going to let the Kentucky people and the people who write those articles do that stuff. I'm just going to say, you know, criteria, you got to bring somebody in that's really going to evolve your passing attack. But I think that's where Kentucky needs to take that next step because when you look at SEC East going into next year, I still think Kentucky can be the third best team in, the, in the, that side of the conference. Tennessee, look, we'll see what happens there. But uh, it, it's – I don't know if Pruitt's going to get fired or not, but it's not looking good there for them. Missouri, that's a team you can you can be as good at. If Missouri is third best team in the East this year, you can you could obtain to be the same level as Missouri. No offense, Missouri, you've had a good year, but uh, that you are not all, you're not going to be that kind of team that can just say, "Hey, we're going to be the third or even second right now." Kentucky, you can catch that. So Kentucky is fully capable of being the third best team in the conference next year. Would Joey Gatewood bring the right coordinator in that's really going to evolve their passing game? Kentucky should uh should find their way uh, with the passing game pretty good next year and in, co- in coming years because everything else they've got it there. They've got the defense and they've got the running game. they just got to make that pass game just a little bit better just to keep defensive, defenses honest. And look, in the SEC, you may have to win some shootouts. And right now, do you trust Kentucky to be able to do that? I don't think so with the way the offense looked this past season. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of Talking SEC. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again, Aaron Torres, for being the guest on today's show. I'll be coming back to you on Friday. I'll be joined by Brandon Eiserman, my colleague over at Last Run College Football. We will pick all the SEC games for the weekend and maybe look at some outside the conference games as well. So I hope you'll check out that podcast on Friday. Got to come to you bright and early. We'll probably record that late on Thursday evening and come to your, your mobile devices or wherever you hear your podcast. Uh, first thing Friday morning. Uh, remember, you can follow me on social media at P Jordan SEC. You can uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Talking SEC Pod. I feel like I'm about to lose my voice here talking ten minutes straight here. Uh, uh, you can uh, obviously check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave me a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. Hope you guys have a next good couple of days, and I'll talk to you on Friday morning. Till then, bye bye. Thank you for listening to Talkin' SEC. Follow Philip on social media at P. Jordan SEC and the show at Talkin' SEC Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time when we're Talkin' SEC.